Moncrief with Energlaze on News Talk. Now, as you no doubt know, the US Embassy has warned American tourists to keep a low profile and exercise caution when visiting Ireland. It's not, of course, unconnected to that attack on an American in Dublin last week. But it's also worth pointing out that street violence seems to be more common now all around the country. So what do the guards feel they need to make streets safer? We're joined by Brendan O'Connor, President of the Garda Representative Association. Good afternoon, Brendan. Good afternoon, Sean. I suppose the first thing a lot of people would like to see is more guards. What's holding that up? Um, well, what's holding what's holding Garda, the Garda numbers up from having more guards on the street is that actually we're not seeing the, the allocated numbers for for our recruits filled because it's not been taken up by applicants or they're not being processed fast enough. And we're also seeing on the other side of the career, like some uh, older Garda and more more uh, senior Garda retiring when they can. And also we're seeing a new phenomenon in recent years, which is uh, Garda of uh, relatively junior service choosing to resign and seek employment elsewhere. So all the indicators are that it's not uh, as a desirable place to work and people aren't want, do want to stay as long. And uh, we're seeing an exodus of members. But the problem that we see is that a lot of the members that we do have aren't being utilised to their maximum visibility because of the work systems that have been introduced that are um, duplicative, repetitive uh, box checking on screens and it's also, as well as keeping guards off, when we do our own exit interviews, we're finding that that's actually what guards are finding demoralising. Some get young, enthusiastic guards want to be out there in the streets fighting crime, want to be chasing criminals, but they think the system is, is, is and the experience of uh, being a guard is quite different from their expectation. Right, OK, God, there's a lot, there's a lot in, there in your, uh, your first answer there, Brendan. So to, just to Sorry, go back, why is it uh, that... Uh, uh, people who might consider uh, joining the guards but then don't consider it? Uh, and why is it that guard, uh, guards below retirement age are leaving? Uh, is it just that, that, that uh, all the box taking they have to do? Are there other factors involved? Well, look, the box taking is a factor, but I mean, we've seen the footage of Gardy being assaulted. Uh, it's a dangerous job, it's a thankless job. We see the online abuse, recording Gardy, putting it up on social media. People identifying them and their families and their home addresses. So a lot of things. I suppose if you were to if you were to encapsulate it probably in one phrase, I'd say the guards feel disempowered and on the back foot. It's like we're the bad guys and the system is out to, to track us down, to, to, to convict us, to, to correct our behaviour. But the criminals and the lawbreakers and the people who are impacting on the quality of life of citizens seem to be emboldened and more confident, while the guards are actually less confident to go out and do their job. Mm. And then the systems in place that's supposed to provide them and give them the framework to deliver policing are being changed. So the service is becoming unrecognisable to more senior members. And we're keeping told we have to change. No one is really convinced us why we have to change. And the model of policing that both Gardaí and the public in this country are familiar with is being replaced by models, we would say, that are being copied from jurisdictions where they have failed. And we think we're going down a cul-de-sac and um, nobody is really going to, well, to say halt, call a mm. halt to, to the now, journey we're on. Now, could you explain that, Brendan, changing the models? What models are being brought in? Uh, well, we have this new operating policing model, which is, um, I suppose, a lot more specialisation, which is, in a way, a good thing. But if it's coming at the... So you have basically specialised units that specialise in particular types of crime. So they're being set up and... and around the country. So that's taking more Gary off the front line. Mm. So really what's happening is, and we don't debate this, 
the policing, the requirement and demand for policing has become more uh, sophisticated, more resource intense. So what we're trying to do is deliver a more, uh, a, a, a more, a bigger range of services from the same group of people. But what is happening, organisation is we're taking away from the frontline visible uniform presence. Which, if that is the journey policing is going on, the public needs to be told, and it needs to be an honest conversation to say, look, you're going to have more availability to investigate online fraud and domestic violence, but the cost to that is you won't have as quick a response for, for when you dial 999, and you won't see a guard on the beat or on patrol to deal with antisocial behaviour in your community. So that's the decisions have been made. So I think um, I heard that the phrase used, the policing is more sophisticated, there's more demands placed on us, but we haven't had an increased capacity to deal with it. So more work placed on the same people and something has to give. And really where that is really becoming evident is frontline, regular response policing that the public are so familiar with. That's who's been depleted and that's what's, what's being lost. Mm, yeah. Now, okay, I, mean, I suppose it makes sense that there that there's online crime and etc., uh, etc. Et so obviously any police force will have to uh, rise to, uh, to meet that challenge. That, that, but for in terms of the recruitment, and, and, and it seems as if when you, when you take away the amount recruited from the amount who are leaving, it's uh, recruitment each year seems to be a fairly tiny figure. What are the one or two things, Brendan, if you had, you know, a magic wand that you do to make joining the guards a more attractive prospect for people? Um, I think, well, we have to look at things like conditions and pensions. We're, trade, we're, we're not a trade union, but we are trade unions. We'll always call for uh, better paid because at the end of the day, there's more opportunities for people in, in the full of county. But it's, it's not really, that isn't the core issue. When we do our exit interviews, that's not what people are telling us. They're not leaving because of that specifically. It's because of the systems, the bureaucracy, the, the, the feeling of that they're not empowered to do their job. And I suppose people looking in from the outside, and that's what kind of we have a dilemma as a representative body. Our members want us to tell the story of how bad things are on the front line, but we don't want to discourage people from joining either because we need more people to join us. But certainly the experience of frontline people, and then people are making up their own minds. When, when they see a video of a patrol car out in somewhere in the suburb of Dublin being rammed repeatedly and the guards withdrawing, and they see a guard being beaten around the head by, by, by an aggressive assailant, mm-hmm. it, it, it doesn't paint a good picture. And I suppose parents and, and spouses and, and siblings are saying, no, I don't want to do that. It's a dangerous job. Now, policing is dangerous, and we can't shy away from that. But, you know, if the police are out there and they feel supported and they have backup and they can deal with, like, you know, confront, confronting aggressive and violent and disorder is part of policing. And no one, no one is, is, is under any illusion that they will have to deal with that. But what we're finding is, is that guards are, I won't say they're afraid, but they're reluctant to go out and actually use proportionate lawful force as is required because they're finding themselves second-guessing what will the GSOC investigation look like? Will the DPP prosecute me just up to be on the safe side rather than give me a clean bill of health? So we're seeing guards prosecuted, brought before the courts, and we're not in any way looking to, be sh- to shy away from accountability. We're talking about guards who ultimately have been vindicated in the courts. But the system Does is... Does that happen a lot, Brendan? Are there a lot of, uh, of guards being brought before the courts and then vindicated? <laughs> there's, there, there's, there's, it's... I suppose the word a lot is very hard to quantify, but there's certainly been a, a number of high-profile cases in recent times, and I'm aware of case here, one of my colleagues in Donegal, used his baton in accordance with his training, was proportionate, was shown to be justified, but it took, you know, he was subject to a prosecution, he was brought before the courts, he didn't know he was going to lose his job, he'll pay his mortgage, two years of hell. So it's like, 
it's it's I suppose a young guard there recently too who was facing an inquiry who 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 did an incident on a on a train which is quite um, quite topical and the person it was all captured on CCTV he did absolutely nothing wrong but he was served papers to say he was being investigated for alleged assault and, and you know the guard said to me the only mistake he did was answering the radio and leaving the station which is a terrible way to have guards thinking but that's how we feel under siege and we feel that if we go out there. Our, our behaviour and our decision-making is scrutinised to the nth degree, while the, the criminal seems to be getting the upper hand. Yeah. The, now, the, 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 going back to the box ticking, I, I assume yeah. this is uh, not unrelated to the, fa- the, the, the civilianisation of the guards has been painfully slow, and it's far lower than it would be in most of the European police forces. Well, it's kind of civilization of policing is a kind of myth in this country because what 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 the public were were told and what we were told is that you know Gareth staff would be recruited and they would undertake the functions of uh, stuff like clerical work and typing and release us from desks. But what it seems is everything that's brought in is another layer of duplication, another layer of um, repetitive box ticking. So just to give you an example, uh, Sean, if I was to go out now tonight and do a checkpoint here in Donegal, right? Uh, a mandatory alcohol testing checkpoint. And I didn't detect any offences. And I didn't stop anyone, but I still did the checkpoint. I have to go back to my station. I have to get on the phone here, sit here, maybe sit on hold for 20 minutes because the call centre is so hold. I have to record the GPS condition, the location of where I conducted a checkpoint, how many cars went through, what was the serial number of the breathalyzer device I used. And this information is really not of any benefit because, as I said, there's no prosecution, there's no action. But Every, every, everywhere across the country, there's hundreds of guards sitting at the end of the shift, ringing in to, 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 to a civilian member of staff who's recording the information on a computer. So you have two, two people being paid by taxpayer to record information that no organisation would place value on because there's no action. And again, I would give another example. A guard on a patrol car today in the city centre gets a report of a drunk man causing a nuisance outside a fast food establishment on O'Connor Street. Okay, there's a, there's a record created of that incident on the, on the CAD system, that's a computer aid dispatch. So the guard goes, the guy is gone on arrival. Tells control, control, gone on arrival, no further action required. Still has to go back to the station, create a duplicate incident on the pulse system to match the CAD system, and then that's updated. And then you'll have a supervisor might say, sorry, you've recorded it as a public order incident, it's only attention complaints, or it's recorded properly. So the guard has an email about that has to sit on hold again to ring up to speak to another person at the call centre and say, is the categorisation right? And then have a discussion as to whether it is right or wrong, and then the decision is made. Now, it's important to have data correct for incidents of crime and Mm -hmm. investigations, but, you know, this is stuff that is absolute bread and butter nonsense that just should be, the guard goes to the scene, gone on arrival control. Similarly, we have a thing where no calls can be cancelled anymore because of what was portrayed as a 999 scandal and the guards were not to 999 calls but the reality actually indicated something different. But what you're having now is someone rings in 999 today and says there's a white car going too fast on the M50, right? That call doesn't get, no one gets to that call till maybe three, four, five hours later. But it can't be cancelled. No one has the authority to say, well, it's having authority, but it's very, very reluctant to say, look, it's five hours later, cars, car speed on the M50, no one's there. We still have to send the car out to drive to that location and give back the result because no one has the common sense to say we can't actually progress that. So that's the sort of thing. And again, you'll have the two duplicate incidents. One has been cleared on pulse to, to replicate the one that dispatched the car on the CAD system. So it's stuff like that that's just wearing people down and it, it's impacting on the service because there's a big delay and, and a big backlog of calls.
Yeah. Why are there two? Why isn't there just one computer system rather than two? Well, that is a million dollar question. And the guards have, it has been, it was put on record by the, the then guard inspectors that our IT systems are generally 30 years behind what comparable police services operate. And we don't see any great improvement other than maybe mobility devices, but still we don't have in-car terms. As I say, guards are still going back to stations, grounding the car to ring the call centre in Mayo to record the details of an incident that nothing happened that requires no further follow-up. So that's that's just indicative. Now, there's a lot more serious. Now, there's, there's other issues, but that's just that's an extreme example of the yeah. stuff that's going on. Yeah. Now, but just going back to the civilianisation for, uh, for a minute, I mean, it is much higher in many other police forces and, and the allegations being made here that uh, the culture within the guards is somehow resistant to that. Do you think there's anything no, to that? I don't think that is the case. I think that what is happening here is that there's a lack of planning. So we have people brought in. There's no analysis done of the skill requirement. People are recruited to, to, to hit targets to say numbers were recruited, but we're not matching the skill base with the organisational need. So we find people are being hired. They don't have the skill base to replace guards. Then what we have also seen is, while it's not actually cost effective because you might have we have guards in, they are in, and not in those roles, they're in office-based roles, but require policing knowledge, such as managing court files and stuff like that. And they're being replaced by two and three members of staff. So the, the net gain hasn't actually been delivered. And what we want, what we thought civilianisation would deliver for our operational members was a support and relieve the burden of us. But if you speak to any operational guard and ask them, what has changed? What function, what repetitive administrative function have you been relieved of as a result of civilianisation? They struggle to give you one. Wow. Okay. Uh, what's the situation as regard tasers? Are, are, are there guards now with tasers? Is that coming in, or, or, or where are we with that? Uh, tasers are tasers are something that the guard representatives of the are very much in favour of having more of. Now they are a use of force and they have these strictly controlled. But other police services that we would compare ourselves to, like Scotland, would have maybe uh, tasers available at a district level. So what in in Ireland the only guards carrying tasers are the members of the armed response unit. So that, uh, regional support units that people would see in the big SUVs, the armed guardy. Mm. But in the country, so they, they're available to use tailors. So we would hope response times in urban areas, particularly cities, mightn't be too bad. But in the country, places like Connemara, West Donegal, Kerry, Cork, even in parts of the Midlands, you're talking massive delays for, 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 for the tailor to arrive on site. So we would see that as more effective too. And if we look at, as we look at comparable police services, if we look at Scotland, they actually chose to give the tasers to the, to the officers that operated in the Highlands alone because they were so far from backup. Whereas mm. we have the officers, we have it centred on, on the more busy centre. So certainly we believe there is a, a and also in result in relation to the assault on our members, which are, are exponentially rising, we believe the taser is a very effective tool because what we've seen in other jurisdictions is when, when the officer, what's called red dots a person, People who obviously a lot of the people who who would be maybe have a propensity to assault police would be used to interaction with the police, and they know when they see the red dot appear on their chest, which is basically the taser being armed. Mm. They know what's coming next, and they generally desist because nobody wants to be tasered. So they're very very effective deterrent, and also very effective in reducing the number of assaults on guards. Because if you try to physically restrain and handcuff someone who's violently resistant, the chances of the guard becoming injured with a sprain or a or something like that, or a fall and a bang, and their ineffective duty is very high. So tasers, in the right circumstances, with the right training, can be very effective, but we think they have a place 
in reducing the number of assaults and making policing more effective. But of mm. course, there's, 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 there's escalated consideration there. They are a use of force and they are an escalation yeah. above what we have. But yeah. we think that there is a place for them. Brendan, thanks a million for speaking with us today. That was uh, Brendan O'Connor there, President of uh, the GRA. As you can imagine, an awful lot of comments uh, uh, on this. And I don't we probably haven't had the time to ring them all up. But one of the points that Brendan made there was that it's very hard to recruit people into the guards. Uh, one texter points out public service uh, entrance must start on the bottom rung of the pay scale, regardless of skills and experience. Not an attractive proposition, which is an interesting uh, point, really, if, if because not all public service jobs are the same. You could start on the bottom rung and the most dangerous thing that might happen to you is a paper cut. Uh, the most dangerous thing that might happen to you for a guard is uh, quite different. Moncrief, weekdays at 2 p.m. with Anna Glaze on News Talk.